the locking and unlocking is going to be done with this cam pin here. So you have the curved slot in the top of that, so it's not going to be sliding straight back and forth. It has where it kind of goes off to the side there. So when it's going to be firing, this is going to be closed up like that, and these rotating seven lugs on that bolt will rotate over, and they will interface behind the matching lugs on the barrel extension. All right, what is up, everybody? I have Jim to my right, and across from us, we have Mr. Tom Stewart from ADM, American Defense Manufacturing. Uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, AR-15s, but in uh, specifically, their operating systems. Yes. So we have two different main types. We've got uh, uh, direct impingement, right, or, or often re referred to as DI, and, uh, and piston. And Tom is going to help us kind of uh, talk about the two systems and, and their intricacies, how they operate, differences, things like that. But before we dive into the, uh, the meat of this, this podcast, Tom, if you can, uh, introduce yourself a little bit more, talk about a little bit of your history uh, in the industry as it relates to, you know, the products that are some of the things that we have here before us, um, as well as, yeah, just, just about you and, and ADM. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Tom Stewart. I currently work with American Defense Manufacturing. Uh, so I have kind of a convoluted trail of getting into the firearms industry. It was not my intent or ever a, a goal of mine. Kind of ended up there. Uh, as far as my involvement with guns, I kind of started as a young age, just like everybody else, uh, hunting, shooting for fun. Uh, kind of transitioned into uh, work involvement with the firearms, uh, first with military, then law enforcement. Uh, I spent 27 years in law enforcement and retired from that. Uh, during that time, I got into uh, competitive shooting, uh, trying to improve my skills for work, make uh, me more proficient. Uh, so my first uh, adventure into shooting competitively, where I learned a lot, uh, was starting with long range. Uh, so I started competing in uh, Palma service rifle. And uh, that, basically Palma, what you're doing is shooting 800, 900, 1,000 yards with a 308. Uh, no bipods. All you can have is swinging a coat and iron sights. Nice. So you learn a lot about all the intricacies of loading, the mechanics of the gun, you know, the body mechanics and how you interact with all that and then the environment. So that was a huge learning curve for me. Um, transitioned from that and started to include USPSA uh, for the pistol, kind of the speed racing side of it, and then transitioned from there into three gun. And that was kind of my downfall. <laughs> <laughs> I got severely addicted to that. Um, started traveling around the country shooting three-gun, uh, myself and my daughter. Um, ended up getting some sponsorships. And that was my introduction to ADM. Uh, through some of that, uh, a couple of their factory reps saw us at a match, asked if they could take some pictures of us using the equipment that we already had on our rifles. And that was my initial contact with them. From there, kind of... Worked into an actual sponsorship with them, providing some consulting and testing and feedback on some of the products that they were making. Um, they offered me a job at one point to come. I didn't quite have the uh, courage to leave my prior career at that point. Uh, so I started working for part-time. Uh, a few years later, back in 2018, I did retire from uh, law enforcement and went to work full-time for American Defense Manufacturing. Uh, my primary work assignments with them is law enforcement military sales. Uh, still do the competitive shooting as part of my work duties, and then new product development as kind of the trends both in competition and law enforcement military side kind of 
lead to new paths and new products. Yeah. So that's kind of my background with getting into the firearms industry. Well, it's awesome that uh, that you joined us here. Now, ADM, I know you guys have been around for a while. I remember, I mean, there was a time back in the day where it was ADM. Everybody was getting mounts yep. uh, from ADM, and I always thought they were the mount guys. Well, they, you guys have much more <laughs> than that. You oh, guys yeah. built some really, really sweet rifles. Um, and, uh, and actually it's kind of a, uh, we very much appreciate you being willing to jump on and talk about this topic with us because you guys primarily, if not maybe even only do DI type rifles, which we'll get into, but you have actually, Tom, we talked with you about this topic a while back and how we wanted to do it. And you did quite a lot of research into the piston guns as well. So it's, it's nice to have somebody who knows so much, uh, about both of these types of, of systems here with us. Yeah. Yeah. Glad you guys asked me. Um, I had some experience with both types of guns prior to that, but nothing that I really did true analyzing. A lot of my information there was based on what I heard from other people, read on the internet, and then a little bit of you know loose use of both types of guns, but nothing where it was a real hard comparison where I was trying to isolate just the gas system or the piston system on it so I could isolate the difference between that. Because you can have a piston gun and a gas gun, and try and compare them side by side. Mm-hmm. But they're going to have all kinds of different components shoot differently. So you really can't do a fair comparison when you have, oh. you know, gun A from manufacturer A built with all of their items and then compare it to gun B built by manufacturer B and compare those. Because it's really not an apples to apples. It's not a fair comparison between a gas and the piston system, what those individual things, mm-hmm. how they affect the run- rifle performance. Yeah. You went through some very scientific experiments, which I know we'll get into, but uh, but first we kind of got to break down. So for those who are listening and, and you're kind of wondering, well, you know, why are we having this conversation? I always just thought an AR was an AR, all that stuff. Uh, maybe we can at least break down further, like, what is this gas system? An AR-15, and it really pretty much as far as I'm aware, anything semi-automatic relies on the gas uh, from the... the what is it, the action of shooting the, the rifle. Um, you probably have more scientific terms than that <laughs> to use, um, and I'm blanking on right now. But they rely on gas to cycle the action and make it semi-automatic. And so there's different ways to rely on that gas, um, and it's ultimately very important to the reliability and, and all that stuff with, with how your firearm functions. So can you go into that? Like what is yeah. actually, what are these things? What's the difference? Yep, definitely. Um, so one of the things I'm going to try and refer to differently, a lot of times the AR-15 gas system is referred to as a direct impingement. Um, It's truly not by the 100% definition of direct impingement. I mean, it still does have a piston system inside of the bolt. Um, So I'll refer to that as a a gas gun compared to a piston gun, Uh, but it's not a true direct impingement because there it would just have the gas tube coming back and interacting with a gas collection pocket in the bolt and there would be no other moving parts. The gas would just drive directly onto the bolt and that would function the gun. With the gas system the AR-15 has, it brings it back into the bolt, but there's actually, we can kind of go into some of that later on, there's almost basically a piston inside of the bolt carry group of an AR-15. It's just a matter of how you transfer that energy and get the bolt carrier moving. That's the main difference between the piston systems that we're going to be comparing and what I'll call a gas system that we'll be comparing. Okay. Do I need to adjust my whole intro now, Jim? 
No, I think it's still <laughs> because you know. I think most people out there are using are using the term DI. At least, yep. like Tom said, we can we can understand that that's kind of what we're referring to. Yep. But it is that is an important technicality to point out. Yep. So as you start out, you see I have this uh, barrel here cut in half. So everything on here is going to kind of how the energy from the pressurized gas in the barrel functions the gun. So that's going to be the difference between what we're going to call the gas system and the piston system. Uh, so as the cartridge fires and the bullet begins to travel down the barrel, it's going to have high pressure gas behind it because that's what's propelling the bullet out of the barrel. They're both going to have a port drilled into the barrel. So once the bullet passes that port, some of that high pressure gas is then going to be vented out of the barrel and then it's going to be used to mechanically function the gun. So how that mechanical transfer of energy moves the bolt is where it differs between the two systems. So with a gas system, you're going to have it coming up, and you're going to have a hollow gas tube that's going to travel from here and just provide a longer path for the gas to go all the way back into the bolt carrier group to begin it on its movement and travel of unlocking and reloading the gun. With a pistonized system, you're going to have a very similar-looking gas block, but inside of here, there's not going to be a hollow tube. You're going to have a solid operating rod, and that is going to move and transfer the energy with the gas going no farther than this gas ah. block up here. Mm -hmm. So that has some advantages and disadvantages to both of them. We'll kind of go through how each of them operate and we kind of touch on a few things that are going to make one more advantageous to one use or one property. Um, it's not anything that's going to say one is going to be 100% better than the other for everything, but each has some key points that make them better in certain areas. Okay. Got it. Yeah, I know. So with the uh, with the traditional gas system of the AR, a lot of people point out the fact that you have this high pressure gas coming through. It goes through that gas block. So that's what Tom was pointing out for those of you who are just listening right now. Uh, many of you may be familiar with what your gas block looks like, where it's located. If you're not, it's probably under the handguard. It's you know some point down the barrel, uh, and it just basically looks like it's a block uh, around your your rifle's barrel. If you have something with a, a a front iron sight on it, it might actually even be the front sight post. That's all kind of part of that whole mechanism there. Uh, but a lot of people will talk about the tradi traditional gas system, and they're saying, well, you're shooting all that dirty gas and all that stuff right back into the barrel, right back into the operating system back there in the upper receiver. Uh, some people will say that there's there's a lot of disadvantages there, and that's why piston's the answer yep. and all that stuff. How do you kind of look at all that? What you're explaining there is 100% accurate. Uh, so with the gas system, you are dumping that hot pressurized gas with carbon deposits right back into the functioning bolt carry group and that part of the action. So that does have some negatives that come along with it. Uh, it's going to be dirtier. It's going to be a significantly hotter for those parts. Um, I think we've all seen how well ARs can run. So it's, I don't think it's nearly as big of a deal as people make it out to be. Um, it does make a difference on your maintenance. So back here with the gas system, you are going to have a lot more carbon deposits back in the bolt carry group and around the bolt carry group than you will on a piston system because that carbon is going to stop with the gas on the gas block where it transfers to the uh, op rod. Having said that, like I said, reliability of ARs, that's kind of been a problem that's been solved. <laughs> you know, it's not a real issue as long as you have decent quality equipment and, you know, maintain it. And I don't mean maintain it, having to clean it every hundred rounds or anything like that. Um, one of the things that is kind of critical with those is if you use a lubricant, the type of lubricant that you use, 
because uh, if you use a traditional just oil, when you start mixing that real fine, hard carbon particles with that, it becomes almost like a sludge and a buttery type of material that's mm-hmm. very abrasive. Uh, mm-hmm. So that will slow the system down significantly to the point where it'll cause some malfunctions. Pretty much all the lubricants, whether they're designed for firearms or automotive, that are used in that and kind of designed for that type of environment will have a solvent-type base in it, so it keeps those carbon buildups more suspended in the lubricant so they don't become that real thick, buttery, kind of where it's going to slow everything down. So it's Mm. not nearly as big of a deal as long as you use a proper lubricant. Uh, There's also a lot of people that choose to not use lubricant on it. When they clean it, they'll wipe it down. They don't go back through and put a a wet coat on there uh, because the fine carbon particles, as long as they're not being held together by some type of liquid where it makes that kind of paste and that kind of stuff, will actually almost act like a dry graphite type of a lube. Oh, I actually hadn't thought about that. So there's kind of two aspects on that. I personally run my guns wet, but I I know a lot of people, depending on the environment that you're operating in, will run them dry. Yeah. So it's kind of... Two ways of dealing with the carbon that goes back there. As long as you don't use an oil that just kind of turns into, you know, a pasty mess, yeah. you're, you're good to go. What would that be? What, like just a typical veg oil or something like that? Am I putting like Crisco in there? Or? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a, a, a lot of the traditional type oils, I don't want to call out any names on sure. them, um, but where they aren't designed to be kind of multi-purpose. Normally, like the clean lubricate protect ones, those are good to go because it has that solvent in there where it's going to keep everything liquefied and it's not mm-hmm. going to gum up. If you just do a, a straight you know, sewing machine type of oil or some of the remanufactured ones that have gun names on them that are just that straight oil, yeah, that's the stuff that when you're shooting, and once you get you know, 60, 80 rounds into it, you're going to notice that that stuff has turned into a paste on your bolt carrier group and it's going to start slowing the, the functioning of it down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a that's kind of a, a hot tip. Look for something that is going to say like all three of those things, like clean, lubricate, protect. It's not going to kind of just do one thing. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of them on the market that are very good. Um, me personally, I use automotive mobile one on mine. I mean, not too many industries out there have spent more money researching how to fight heat, friction, and carbon deposits than the internal combustion engine. So right. And I mean, when you look at what a piston is doing inside of a cylinder sleeve, it's not a whole lot different than what the bolt carrier group in your AR is doing inside of the upper receiver and the buffer and all that stuff. And a lot of these parts, it's, it is very similar. That's also what I use. It's also because I have a lot of it. I was going to say, Jim, you got any of that laying around? Yeah. That, yep. was, that was probably the easiest, most fluid car reference I've ever seen come across the table. <laughs> that was, that was as natural as they get right there. It wasn't forced. Um, yeah, okay. So that, you know, making sure, so there's other things. I think I've, I've found that this is oftentimes the case with many things. People a lot of times they'll want to, obviously we got to get more into piston, but they'll want to put things in a box as quick as they possibly can. You know what yep. I mean? So they're like, they're like in DI, or in this case, we're just referring to it as the traditional gas system. Like, oh, well, it's dirty, so it's going to make your bolt carrier group dirty and it won't run. Right. You know, and, and they don't think that everything acts as one big unit. So it's like, well, yeah, but you also have to, there's other things you have to do. First off, the gun just has to be built right. Uh, there's got to be, you know, even just with this gas block being on there, is the gas block set right? Is the, the hole in the gas block lined up with the little pinhole in the barrel? There's yep. so many other things going on. Are you using the right lubrication? Um you know, unless you've really addressed all those other details, it's hard to just single out one thing like, oh, your ARs having issues? It's got to be because it's DI and you don't have a piston. That's the answer. Right, Correct. right. Yep. Yeah, so then going into the piston system, rather than having that gas go through there, um, that all the energy transfer is done through a solid fixed rod. 
back to the bulk care group. So that is going to have all the carbon and heat is going to stop at the gas block where it starts to interact with the operating rod. So you're not going to get all that coming back into the uh, upper receiver in the bolt carrier group. Mm-hmm. So that does have some advantages there. Yeah. But it's still going somewhere. Like, yep. it's still going. Yep. So it'll stay pressurized. Some of it will escape out the barrel with the bullet after it passes, and it's lower pressure down behind it, and some of it will vent out on the gas block itself. Some of the different systems have different ways of managing that as well, by, depending on the manufacturer. Of okay. The, uh, the piston system. Are you going to just have to worry about all the uh, dirt and carbon buildup that's going to happen in your gas block now, though? And you've, you've, you haven't eliminated the carbon right. buildup. Yep. You've just moved it to a different location. Yep. yep. So this will carbon up inside of there. I mean, literally, there is like a piston sleeve, and then the end of this rod acts like the piston. So when it's pressurized, it pushes out, and it hits a point where there's a vent hole, and then the pressure escapes out that, and it can go back to its normal position until you fire the next shot. So you will have deposits inside there around the rod as well. It's just where they are, they're a lot easier to clean. Mm-hmm. Okay. And where it's located in the system, there's not as fine a parts or anything like that, so it is able to overcome that mechanically and kind of crush through any carbon deposits that you have there for the functioning. So mm-hmm. it does have some advantages in that. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, I mean, it does, like, there's a little bit less going on right, right there. Yep. One thing I'm curious about in the action of an AR, and this is, this is getting into just kind of the overall picture of it, not even necessarily specific to the gas system, although I, maybe it is, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong in saying that, but like when you have, so there's so many things that happen when you fire the gun, right? I mean, there's a lot going on yep. in there. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, so like this piston here, this op rod, you call it in the, uh, in the piston system, this is a, this would be considered a long stroke piston, correct? Short. Or short stroke? Yep. A long stroke would have this rod attached to this so the whole thing moves together oh, okay. short stroke this is going to be your piston and then it impacts that but they're not attached okay got it oh, thank you okay um so this thing is captured inside of this this gas block basically Correct. um and so really all it can do is almost kind of just sort of like nudge or yep. like hit the bolt carrier uh, a little bit it's not following the bolt carrier all the way back you Correct. know through the upper receiver and into the buffer tube um yeah, so, so good, like, is good it, way to think about this is think of a single-stroke jackhammer. Okay. That's exactly what it's doing. It has a very short movement, high speed, and a lot of power behind it. So it doesn't have a lot of throw when this thing moves. It's only going to move a quarter of an inch. Yeah. But it's going to impact this very hard because it has to do that full energy transfer in that short burst contact. Huh. So kind of think of it as a one-hit jackhammer. It's so hard to imagine because... You know, you pull the charging handle back on your AR, and I'm not acting like that's the hardest thing in the world, but it's it's definitely not kind of like, you know, it, it's right. not just going to let you do it with one finger necessarily. Like, you got to put a little effort into yep. it, especially to get it all the way back. Yep. And so I'm thinking of something, it's like the old Bruce Lee one-inch punch, you know what I mean? It's that's what that Scott's going on here. It exact has exact thing that popped into my lined head. lined up right there, and then yep. just with that little, it's going to shoot that thing all the way back. Yeah. I mean, that's really something. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly what it does. Huh. Now, there's an unlocking process that happens as well Correct. in the cycling of an AR where these lugs have to unlock from inside the, uh, the barrel extension. Correct? That is Maybe correct. I'm using the wrong words. But yep. um, how does that all interact with what's going on in the gas system? Because that's happening down at the barrel extension level. Is that, are they all part of the same operation going on? Does it all happen just so, like... So the locking and unlocking is going to be done with this cam pin here. So you have the curved slot in the top of that so it's not going to be sliding straight back and forth it has where it kind of 
goes off to the side there. So when it's going to be firing, this is going to be closed up like that, and these rotating seven lugs on that bolt will rotate over, and they will interface behind the matching lugs on the barrel extension. So that's going to lock the bolt solidly in place. So the force isn't to open it up isn't pushing back on the bolt. You'll have a lot of force pushing back on the bolt from the explosion going on inside the chamber that's creating the pressure to push the bullet out. But the bolt cannot move because it's locked in place by the locking lugs behind there. So what happens is the energy is transferred to the bolt carrier, whether mm-hmm. it be a piston one or a gas system. So the carrier starts to move back, and as that cam pin rotates through that curved slot, it's going to rotate the bolt. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's going to, oh. once as this thing is moving it, making its travel backwards, it rotates that. The locking lugs now are unlocked, so the momentum of the weight of this bolt carrier group is what then pulls this out, and it goes through the rest of the process, the extraction, the ejection, and then going through the, the reloading chambering process for the next round. Okay, got it. So it's the beginning of the bolt carrier itself moving back that 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 pulls those lugs essentially. Yep, with the cam pin in there going through that camming slot that creates that rotation. Both when it closes, because when it closes, this is out, and then when it closes, this is pushed against inside of the barrel extension to be the end of the barrel. So that's now going to then rotate to lock as the bolt closes after it loads the next round, then it unlocks and locks wow. you know, as it's going through its cycling process. It's like it's just on a track. Exactly. Yeah. It's very ingenious. Yep. This is the kind of stuff that, like, when you talk to a doctor and they start telling you how your body works and suddenly you feel a lot more <laughs> fragile because you're like, there's a lot of really important things hinging on little tiny details working correctly. This is like, everybody takes for granted, like, yeah, my AR, you know, I just shoot it hundreds of rounds or whatever, no big deal, thousands of rounds. And you're like, man, there's so many intricate details going on. Yep. Here. There's a lot going on. I got, I've got one question. So the, you said this is a, a short stroke. Correct. Where you know it's got the uh, the Bruce Lee one inch punch. Yep. What is the what's the long stroke doing then? So the long stroke, uh, just think of this rod. You know, right now it, it's fixed inside of here and just moves on here. Fixed so to the, the gas block. Yep. So if this was a long stroke, the rod would be fixed and part of the bolt carrier itself. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like an AK when you take an AK apart, you pull the bolt out and it has a long heavy steel rod that's attached to it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that steel rod is going to slide inside of basically a piston sleeve up here. So that is pressurized and pushes the end of the operating rod, Mm -hmm. the piston, and starts it on its travel. There the whole rod and everything cycles with the bolt, and the only thing that's stationary is just the gas block. Okay. So that's that's the difference. So it's kind of hard to explain it without having one here, but so that would be attached there, you know, minus the gas block. So this whole... as a unit, would be mm-hmm. cycling back and forth, and the gas block would be stationary. Okay. okay. Now, do people sometimes say that maybe that is the more? Uh, gosh, I'm getting into the. I'm like really, you know, focusing a lot on like many people do the whole like carbon buildup and all that stuff thing. Uh, but I suppose if your gas block is fixed and it's just there, and a piston kind of comes into it, and then when you shoot, it does the old one inch punch and it sends yep. the whole thing backward. All that carbon can just kind of just. Just come right out while that piston's on its way back, right? It, it just, can. I mean, it doesn't. It, the pistons, if you look at them, they, a lot of times they'll have grooves in them. I mean, those are a self-cleaning groove, so mm-hmm. it, it has that. So as carbon would build up on there, it almost acts as a scrape on the inside of there, and then it has that groove for the parts to fall into. And then as it's cycling and firing under pressure, hopefully it can blow 
that those fine particles out of the system. Sure. Oh wow. Okay. Very interesting. Um, man, I just wonder, like, is there a short and long stroke piston? I almost just wonder if that's just kind of it was two different ways of kind of maybe people are probably simultaneously developing things. One person did it one way, another person did it a different way. Yep. Uh, is that kind of how it worked, or or is there actual well, advantages and disadvantages to each? That, that that's where I was of? going. Like, is there a reason why somebody would want A over B? So my opinion on that, one of the negatives having long stroke like in the AK system is the amount of reciprocating mass. Because now you have not just the bolt, oh. you have all that entire operating rod moving back and forth. Yeah. Uh, so even on a, a standard AR, if you lock the bolt to the rear and are like holding up on a target, you know, and just let the bolt go forward, you, the gun will almost jump and do more movement than it does under just a straight firing of a 223 round. So having all that extra weight sliming back and sliming forward induces a lot of movement into the gun. So having a lower reciprocating mass makes for a more stable platform. Makes That's sense. why a lot of times when you see somebody shooting an AK, even if it is the 545 version, it has more gun movement than somebody shooting an AR-15. It's makes just, sense. It's kind of the amount of mass that's moving back and forth in there and how it's coming to rest and starting to move. Hmm. That does make sense. I like it. Um I do have to point out, somebody's going to wonder who's watching on YouTube, this barrel. <laughs> uh, so this is, consider this a maybe a brief intermission while you get caught up and you're really contemplating some of the things Tom has said. I do. This is really cool. Tom brought over, uh, if you're not watching on YouTube, at least just go over and take a look. He brought over a couple things that have been EDM cut in half to kind of give you some cross sections. We've got the traditional AR bolt carrier here, which is really cool. We can probably, you know, get in and show some of the more of the things that you were talking about yep. earlier. This barrel's hilarious. Um, <laughs> Um, because it's it's really maybe, cool. Maybe not at the time it was. No, uh, I'm sure probably made, if you will. Yeah, uh, but yeah, can you explain uh, this real quick? Yeah. Well, the reason I brought it is to kind of show how the locking lugs interact with the barrel extension. Um, the reason I have this one just already pre EDM sitting on my desk is it was a uh, customer return for a catastrophic failure of a gun. Uh, if you can see in there, basically this was used to power swedge a short <laughs> flat bullet down to a long skinny bullet. It was a 300 blackout fired through a 223 gun. <laughs> that is something else. And he almost got away with it. Yep, almost. If, yeah. Um, wow. That's, it's really, uh, it's scary to look at, <laughs> but it's also now at this point in time because it wasn't me pulling the trigger hilarious. Yep. Um, sometimes, so, sometimes you want to, you know, get that 300 blackout and just give it a way higher BC, you know, the bullet, you know, sure. really extend your effective range if, sure. if it leaves the barrel. And right. If we wouldn't have cut it in half, we might've been able to get it out of there and reload it into something else. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, so Tom didn't just go and cut up, you know, a perfectly good regular barrel for those of you who are like, oh man, I got a barrel on back order or something like that. Yep. Uh, this, this barrel's toast. Uh, it already was, <laughs> but that's, that's very interesting. Um, and what, yeah, what and, did that, what did that return look like? Hey, your barrel doesn't work. It's like, well, I'm yeah. not sure the barrel's the problem. Yep. <laughs> well, something like that. Yeah. The cutting in half was part of the, uh investigation as to what caused the failure. It's pretty obvious, but you still have to cover all your bases. <laughs> I'd say you did that. Um, right, and then you see so you got this uh, you got this bolt carrier over here cut in half. Yep. This is kind of neat because you see a lot of times people, I think, look at bolt carriers and they just really, they really kind of just, again, it's another thing you take for granted. You're like, it works, so that's all I care about. But when yep. you actually look at it, you're like, wow, this is... Yeah, there's a lot going on inside of it. Impressive stuff. Yep. 
Where's the so you mentioned how there, this is kind of actually still like a uh, a piston system in yeah. some regards? Uh, can you kind of show us that a little bit here with the bolt yep. actually being inside of the? Yeah. Carrier? So what I'll kind of do is I'll go through the whole process for the uh, gas system and how the pressurized gas ends up inside the bolt carrier group and what it does mechanically in there to transfer that energy and cycle the gun. So like we started, uh, the pressurized gas is going to leave the barrel once the bullet passes the uh, gas port. It's going to then pressurize the gas tube, which is going to transfer that high-pressure gas coming down here. And then it's going to transfer that inside of the gas key on top of the bolt carrier group. Mm-hmm. This is the, like, roof scoop-looking thing sticking yep. off the front or the, the top of the bolt carrier group. Exactly. Uh, so it's going to transfer that pressurized gas down here. Uh, so one thing to think about, we're going to continue out the explanation of this, but we're going to kind of the point of this is to explain the differences between the two systems. So one thing to think about here is this is still transitioning the energy in a gas form. Mm-hmm. Uh, so gas moving from here to here, even though it's moving extremely fast, a number that I cannot measure or anything like that, other people can with different tools, but it still does have a time factor mm-hmm. from A to B. It still does have that time factor. Uh, one of the critical components of how a rifle runs in the whole system is the timing of how the bolt operates um, for when it unlocks and starts to move. That affects accuracy, reliability, and you know, just straight-out ability to function. So that is one of the keys that was designed into this. I mean, so that does have some time delay of the gas moving. Also, gas pressure so if you have this system pressurized, just say it's pressurized at 100. So as you expand the volume that that pressure of 100 is in, so as you expand that volume, the pressure decreases. Mm-hmm. So also, by giving it more volume, it's smoothing out that pressure instead of getting hit by that super hammer of you know, that magic number of 100. It's going to be decreased due to that expansion of volume that it's able to you know, occupy. So the pressure is going to go down, so it's not going to be quite as violent of a hit. Mm-hmm. So continuing on, so the gas pressure is going to come down through here. Uh, when this is closed, the bolt is going to be pushed back in the carrier like that. You can see the rings there, just like the piston rings in the internal combustion motor. So you have this small cylinder right inside of here. The gas is dumped into there. So it's going to hit that basically a dead end. So it's going to do what gas does. It pushes. So it's going to help by pushing the bolt forward. So it's going to be pushing the bolt forward. It's going to be locked into there, so there's no place for that to go. So then the part that can move is going to be the carrier itself. So it's going to start the carrier moving backwards, and as it does that, it's rotating the bolt. Okay. So once the carrier reaches that point there, the rings on the bolt piston reach a point where you have two vent holes. So once the rings pass that, it has enough energy now to keep all that extra gas and carbon and everything else from that from just depositing there, having no place to go. It now has a free vent to come out there. And at that point, the bolt already has all the energy it needs, so it's going to continue its movement back to complete the cycle of the firing, and it'll vent the excess gas out the side. I was wondering what those two holes are for. Yep. So they're closed off. Well, the pistons are back there. As soon as it reaches that point, it vents that out, excess pressure out. Mm-hmm. So... That is, that's fantastic. I'm so glad that you brought this along. I don't think I'd be able to um, 
at least understand as well what you're saying without the visual aids yep. right now. Yeah. So there is one other key point here that differentiates on the function Dragon of this effect. for the locking and unlocking from the uh, piston system. Sure. So this is going to kind of go into reliability and longevity, okay? So when the bolt is locked in with the rotating lugs in the barrel extension, so under normal firing pressure, this is going to be pressurized, so this is going to be pushed back extremely hard. So you're going to have a lot of hard contact on the back side of those locking lugs, keeping okay. it in there. And that still would be pressurized if you just had pressure pushing out from this direction and having all that you know, PSI on the backage of those while they're supposed to be turning and unlocking. So that puts a fair amount of stress on those. So what happens with this, with part of that piston, remember what it's doing before it can unlock or before it can start pushing this back, it's trying to push both of them apart. This one is stopped. So it's pushing the bolt actually forward, Yeah. unloading the pressure on the back of it. So when this comes back and can rotate, there is no longer any pressure on the back of these because it's already being pushed forward. So it can rotate and unlock without that high okay. stress point on the back side of the locking lugs. Yeah, because if it's having to rotate to unlock and it's got, you know, however many thousands of PSI pushing on it and then it's got all that metal-on-metal metal yep. friction. Wow. What an, what an unbelievable, in such a short amount of time, like, just roller coaster of pressure that, that bolt face goes through because it's getting, it's getting pushed back with... Yep so much force and then after a very very small delay then it's getting pushed forward it's twisting and then finally going on its way and this all happens in i mean heck we've all seen jerry mitchell shoot i mean the guy's got a machine gun for a finger but he i mean when you see a gun go off it just you know somebody who can actually control it at such quick rates or even when you do see a full auto one all that happening in such a short amount of time is yep. uh, it's incredible nothing short of it yeah and another kind of key point that differentiates with this too is where or the how that force is transferred to the bolt. So with the piston being dead center in the bolt carrier itself, so all that movement transfer of energy is in line with the barrel and in line with the travel of the bolt carrier group as it moves back. Uh, so that also differentiates from a piston system because with the piston system... Um, well, before we jump into that, are there any mm. other questions you guys have on this one before we move on to the piston? None that I can think. Well, what? How about I, you? I don't think so. I mean, like like you said, Jim, and there's so many things going on in such a short amount of time. And then Tom, you were talking about you know the time that the gas takes to go down yep. the tube. I know, like we hear about like you know adjustable gas blocks and yep. things like that, or you know you have like a um, you know, some of these tubes are different, you know, depending on, like, what firearm. How d is that coming into play as far as, like, that timing? Like, I know... Oh, you're talking about, like, gas lengths, like, carbine length, yes. mid-length, yep. rifle exactly. length, Cause I know, and like, barrel length, and how that all comes into play. And again, this, sure, this, that's is, something I, yeah. this is just a question. I know when we were putting together my uh, Frank and AR, actually, Jim, that's actually quite accurate. <laughs> but um, one thing that we were trying to figure out, and it actually just so happened that I guess it did work well, but they're like, okay, you know, your cartridges are probably going to eject like, you know, fore and aft, so we might have to make some adjustments, and they ended up just ejecting like straight out the side. Oh, yeah, you're talking about if you looked at the diagram where some people will look straight down at a gun, and if you're ejecting uh, 
shells or cases at three o'clock, you know, that's the sign of like a, a well tuned gas system or something. Yep, if you're checking right. it at one o'clock, it's overgassed and you know. And I guess my question is, is anything that we're talking about here related to that? Yes. I mean, the, the parts that we're dealing with here are what controls that because mechanical energy. So the more mechanical energy or more energy transfer you have into the, the bolt carrier group, the faster it's going to run. So, I mean, if you hit that with, you know, 100 pressure, it's going to move at one speed. If you hit it at 150 pressure, it's going to move faster. Obviously, if you hit it at 50, it's going to move slower. Mm. Um, and that can be controlled. Um, you're trying to figure out the best way to describe this. So when you're running a gun like on full auto, you've heard of cyclic rates. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a normal 20-inch M16, and that will run at one cyclic rate. So when they started making the transition to shorter guns, you know, when they did this, some of the initial 10-and-a-half-inch ones or, you know, the current 14.5s, the cyclic rate when that running that thing at full speed on auto is faster for the shorter guns. And the reason for that is you're picking up that pressure sooner mm-hmm. so the bullet doesn't have to travel as far down before it starts to energize the system. So you're picking that up sooner. You're having less volume being taken up by having you know, the gas block being down here and having a shorter gas tube. So you have less volume to fill mm-hmm. and a shorter distance for it to travel. So it's starting all that mechanical motion faster. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and you can try to circumvent some of that, uh, the amount of energy that you're putting into the system with what we were talking about with the adjustable gas blocks. Because um, ultimately that is kind of set by the hole size that is drilled in the barrel. Um, most manufacturers drill those a little bit bigger so it will function on you know the lowest common denominator of ammunition. Right. Uh, so on really high-end ammunition, if you're loading stuff for long range, you know, different burn rates for powders also affect the speed at which it runs. You can tune that with an adjustable gas block. So that allows you to then control the amount of gas that leaves the barrel and enters your system by basically you're occluding the hole that is able to making it smaller mm-hmm. so you're not allowing as much gas to enter the system. So you'll do that to try and control the speed. Or if you're running, trying to run some high-end parts of a lightweight bullet carry group, so you make that lighter, then it's going to be running faster, so you want to turn down the gas a little bit. Yeah. I'm glad you brought this one up, Mark, because not to make you almost do it, because maybe this is like another podcast within a podcast, but all that tuning stuff with the gas is yep. so, yeah. <laughs> it's such a rabbit hole. Yes, it is. It's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's people tuning, there's people tuning their buffer mm-hmm. with the weight yep. and the spring. There's people tuning, I and I actually even have one, and um, I've been playing around with it a little bit. There's people tuning at the bolt carrier group. Yep. There's people tuning at the gas block. With the overall gas length, you know, because you've you've got like some folks who are like, oh, the fourteen five with the mid length gas system is like the cream de la creme, you know, the creme de la creme, yeah. uh, you know, and then it's like it's very yeah, and, and that can all be varied by the size of the gas port, the weight of your bolt carrier group, because I mean you have the M sixteen ones, commonly referred to that, you know, so it has the full weight on the bottom, you know. AR-15 one when everybody was into the banning things and you couldn't have a bolt carrier group that would work with a full auto trigger pack. It has the bottom cut out, so those are lighter. Right. You have some of the competition race ones where they're made out of titanium or have them all skeletonized cut up on the bolt carrier group, try and cut the weight down. But you also have to think about the buffer. Yeah. The buffer and the bolt carrier group move together. If I run this thing super light, but I'm running a heavier than normal buffer, my combined weight, you know, it's what you got to think about is a combined weight. Yeah. Uh-huh. And one thing that kind of 
goes a little counter too to that. So also thinking about momentum. I mean, mm-hmm. just like long range bullets, you know, heavier kind of keeps that energy longer. You can go so far down by making your reciprocating mass so light that originally you had a adjustable gas block trying to tune the gas down. Once you get that system so light, you're going to need to go back up to full gas because it no longer has that momentum because it's so light, it'll hit a faster speed, but it doesn't have enough energy to overcome the spring to make the full travel. Oh, so you have to, you have to help it out more then. That's yep. funny. So yeah. you actually have to start it moving faster to get it, have it have enough energy to make the full cycle. Which then I'd have to imagine full gas with a lighter weight is actually going to achieve maybe the opposite result of what a lot of people want. Because a lot of people want lighter felt recoil. Well, it'll achieve a negative, but it's normally in the accuracy department and reliability. Okay. Because the lighter the weight of the stuff moving back and forth, that reciprocating mass, the less movement you have of the gun. But if you start unlocking the bolt too soon, that affects accuracy. Because you want everything, I mean, ideally, you would not want a single mechanical item on the gun to move until the bullet is long gone Mm. for ultimate accuracy. So if you start unlocking these things sooner by making them lighter, because that is basically the only way that you can change the speed that that's going to unlock, is if this is a heavier item, it takes longer for that gash pressure to move something. So if you were to try and push something that weighs 100 pounds, it's going to take you longer to get that moving by pushing the same energy on it than it would something that weighs 10 pounds. So by having all this stuff heavier, it delays that unlocking, which is an accuracy advantage. So there's a point of diminishing returns when you start lightening things up and getting things moving faster. You can get to the point where you're going to lose that accuracy potential. Very interesting. Mm. Can I give you another scenario that's actually one I'm dealing with? Instead of trying to make you explain every single possibility under the sun, I've got another scenario that I think maybe others might find themselves in as well. Um, Suppressors. (laughs) Um, now this, this, that, again, a whole nother topic, suppressors in general, but one thing I'm running into, I've got a 16 inch gun with a mid-length gas system, um, always had good luck with it. And then, and I've got this whole situation with suppressors in jail and I'm trying to move around muzzle devices and work with the suppressors I got. It's a whole... Figure of speech there, Jim. Not figure of speech, yeah. yeah. They're in uh, suppressor purgatory, suppressor jail, whatever you want to call it, NFA uh, waiting room. Um, yeah, so, uh, but I'm trying to make all this work. So I, I got this can on there, and I was shooting it yesterday, and without the suppressor on, you know, the ejection's at 3 o'clock. It's a really pleasant to shoot gun. It's very accurate. Then I put the suppressor on, and I'm now ejecting cases at 1 o'clock, and it's very harsh, and it's not as accurate. Yep. Um because I would venture to guess, and you can probably uh, say this in more uh, better terms than I can, but the suppressor is essentially adding on to, in some ways, like the barrel length, and it's increasing the amount of pressure yep. that's there while everything's operating, right? Yeah, so a way to look at that using this again, um, you hear the term dwell time. Mm-hmm. So this system is going to be pressurized by the pressure in the barrel only while the barrel or the bullet is still in there. So it's just going to have that time, so the back of the bullet passes there it's going to be pressurized as soon as the bullet leaves the barrel the gas is going to take the path of least resistance out the front so you have whatever time frame it takes for the bullet to travel from there to there is going to be your dwell time that is how long the system is going to be pressurized so by adding a suppressor onto there 
you no longer have that free, open, unpressurized air. So it maintains a pressurized barrel. It won't be nearly as high a pressure, but it will still maintain pressure for a longer period of time. Hmm. So that can add extra gas coming in through the gas system, functioning the bolts. It can speed things up and make them run harder and harsher. Um, Another thing it's going to do is normally by the time the extraction of the spent brass takes place, the pressure is gone in the barrel. So that's one thing you'll probably notice when you're shooting your suppressed gun, your brass, when you pick it up, is going to be, instead of being still looking like brass, it's going to have a lot of carbon and soot on it. Yeah. So that is because now the barrel is still pressurized by the suppressor, even though it's much lower, when the brass is starting to be extracted. So now it's picking, it has another choice of path of least resistance. Oh, and it can send it right down yep. the... Uh, yep. So they are getting pressure that has carbon sediment in it and soot escaping back as soon as you open up the chamber and remove that brass that has expanded to block it off. As soon as you start to extract that, it has a way for that to escape. And as it's running past there, you know, it cools and settles, and that's how you get all the sediment on there, and you get more stuff in your gun that's even harder to clean. <laughs> how about that? Okay. So that's where something like maybe an adjustable gas block or yep. something could assist me when I go into suppressor mode versus not suppressed mode. Yep. So an adjustable gas block is very helpful for that. Uh, it doesn't change the dwell time of it at all, uh, but it will cut down that initial pressure. Okay. Another thing you can do is add a heavier buffer. Okay. Because, again, we're going into trying to delay that unlock time. Okay. Because now the increased pressure is speeding the system up beyond what it was originally designed to function at. You know, think of it as RPM. So the system is finely tuned to run between 4,000 and 4,500 RPM. You throw the suppressor on, now it's running at 5,500 RPM. Mm-hmm. You need to figure out a way to slow that system down. Uh, so a common way that's you know, cost-effective to do that is increase the buffer. Okay. Uh, so go up to like an H3 buffer or something. I don't know what you're running in it right now, but... I think it's just got, honestly, a regular H buffer, okay. so it's not exactly... It's not even an H2, which I know is a little heavier. Yep. So. Yeah, so I would recommend... Suge- kind of increasing that, try an H2, see how it runs, try an H3, you might get to a point where it has too much weight, where it's not fully cycling, and yeah. that's the point to back off. Okay, good to know. And that'll keep it locked up longer and slow that action from moving back. Good to know. Anyway, like I said, I had to uh, commandeer this <laughs> podcast briefly to get some personal advice. I was going to say, it's always good to get a few asking for a friend's questions. Yeah, and exactly. Um We've been talking an awful lot about the gas uh, system, the the DI quote unquote style. Yep. Um, and in the interest of time, I'm sure there there's like we're leaving five episodes on the <laughs> table, know. but we got to talk a little bit more about the piston system yeah, and how this works because it's it's got to be different because there's not gas going down into the the roof scoop on the top of the uh, yep. bolt carry group. Yeah. Uh, so here again, so. What's going to differentiate is the energy transfer from gas to mechanical is going to happen up here. So we're going to lose that time delay. We're going to lose the, you know, expansion of volume to kind of slow it down a little bit. And now what's going to happen is the operating rod is going to start to move back. And like we talked about that, you know, one stroke jackhammer, and it's going to impact on the top of the bolt carry group to deliver it its, its energy. Uh, so at that point, this is going to function just like this. It's just how the energy was delivered to this to, to make it move. So it's going to start the carry. It's going to be locked up like that. And then the carrier is going to start to move back, which is going to cause this to rotate, at which point it's going to fully start the extraction and ejection process of the spent brass. 
So where the differentiation comes in this, where it can have an effect on accuracy or the accuracy potential of the firearm, uh, we talked here about how the energy was delivered in a perfectly straight line coming back. Uh, so with this, it's going to be hitting up on, on top. So that's going to cause what we're going to call carrier tilt. Hmm. So as it hits there, this is going to want to, because there are tolerances, so this isn't locked in where it's going to be immovable. Right. So you are going to have some movement, so you'll have carrier tilt from that impacting that when it starts back. And depending on the system and how it's functioning, it may not be exactly the identical spot on there that it hits each time. So you can have some variation as to how much carrier tilt or if there's any sideways to it or not, depending on how this impacts. Um, this one has got a slightly rounded, so that's going to try and eliminate any of that slightly different than the last impact, so that it's as consistent as possible. Oh, that's almost like when you try when you countersink something for yep. a uh, for a fastener or something yep. like that to try and get it keep centered it perfectly every time. centered. So this one has that design, so it's trying to overcome any inconsistencies on that impact. Uh, but there's no way from that delivery of energy that you can get rid of the carrier tilt. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Okay. Uh, so yeah. that is something that you want to try and avoid for the most potential for accuracy. And the gas isn't also pushing back on the bolt to make its job of unlocking a little easier exactly. either, right? Exactly. So your, your bolt is actually experiencing more stress, especially on the backside of the lugs, than Correct. it would with a, a again, this gas system DI gun. Correct. Huh. <laughs> nice, Jim. Nice Look deduction that. there. Wow. Yep. Thank you. Uh, well, obviously, I didn't have anything to do with it. Tom has explained very well. That's very interesting. So what's the deal? I feel like in a lot of ways we've just shown that the traditional gas system is super awesome. And we've kind of we've kind of mentioned that the piston system, what are the pros with it? Is it primarily that you say you don't get the carbon in the upper receiver and all that? In my mindset, yeah. That is the, the biggest pro, um, especially like when you brought up shooting suppressed. Because yeah. one of the big negatives that people have with shooting suppressed is excess gas back at the shooter's face. Yeah. Uh, so a piston system will help that. Um, you're not going to be able to avoid the extra gas that's coming back because the barrel is still pressurized when you start the extraction process. That's still going to be there. Uh, but you won't get the excess of gas coming in through the gas tube into the upper receiver that can then follow like the charging handle back and vent, you know, kind of right in front of your face. So okay. it, is, it is a help with that. Right. Plus, okay. you're not getting as much extra material back in there when you're shooting suppressed. Like I said, you will st still will get the soot that follows the barrel back and escapes through all the brass once the extraction process starts. Okay. So that it does have it a, an advantage on. Are there any differences with the recoil impulse between the two? I would assume that the system with the piston would probably have a sharper recoil um, me personally shooting them, I haven't noticed it. It's okay. nothing that's noticeable to me. Gotcha. Like, like you could pick up a gun blindfold and shoot one and then the other and, be, oh, this one's, you know, so much more harsh. That's nothing I've noticed. I would assume if you had some way of mechanically measuring that there might be a fine difference, but nothing that's really apparent as a shooter. Gotcha. Like mm -hmm. something you might be able to find on paper, but yep. not negligible in, in practicality. In, in reality, it doesn't make any difference. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you have, and just to reiterate, because you have shot both types yep. before. And I know I, we mentioned before, obviously, Tom is with ADM. ADM sells primarily, if not only, 
the DI style firearms, you know, but this isn't to say Tom's just trying to sit up here and be like, oh, well, it's the best because we sell them. No, um, we, we asked you for <laughs> if you could be as impartial as possible, and you said yes. And in fact, I think even the whole piston set up here is one of your own personal ones. Correct. Um, so, you know, <laughs> he, he's an enthusiast at heart here. He's joining us uh, on the podcast as a, as a representative, yes, but also just as an enthusiast who is very curious. Um, and because of your curiosity, you've even done some testing uh, for us, which I'm phenomenally excited for. Mark has pronounced Tom even brought his own pronouns, everybody. This is uh I'm surrounded by people with pronouns. Tom Tom has the pronouns. He's got some originals. He's got all the stuff right MC here. Ryan's with me. He doesn't have any pronouns. Yeah, so That's when you guys uh first contacted me, asked me to come on and talk about this subject, uh like I said, I, I had told you guys I'd be more willing to do it, but I wanted a little time so I could get some data collected on my own. Um uh, I don't want to just regurgitate what I've heard somebody else say. Um and it's something I was curious about too. Uh, but never really, never really invested the time to try and compare them in a true comparison between the systems. Uh, like I said before, I, I've been at the range and even on the same day shot two different guns, well, one being a gas, one being a, a piston gun. But it's kind of hard to truly compare the two different operating systems when they're on two different guns. Uh, so what I did to try and isolate it to just the differences that would be applied by the two different operating systems, I started with the one of our platforms that I knew has a good potential for accuracy. Uh, one of our 16-inch Mod 2s running the Criterion Barrel. Very accuracy-capable platform. Uh, yes. What I changed on that is to try and make it so I didn't have any other influences on the gun other than the piston or the gas system, is when I built it, I only used a 7-inch handguard. Uh, so when I swapped out the gas systems between the two during the testing process, I wouldn't have to disturb the barrel nut or any tensioning or anything like that because I'd be able to get at the gas system, change it with that super short. Looked a little weird when I was at the range. Not exactly Instagram friendly. <laughs> nope. nope. <laughs> look, look, looked a little weird at the range sitting there on a the bench rest with uh, a big old barrel just yep, sticking a, out of the a, short And a handguard that's made for an eight and a half inch 300 blackout on a 16 inch gun. But your, fr your friends are like, man, I really used to think that Tom knew what he was doing. This is getting a little wild. <laughs> yep. New fad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Honestly, we may see it. Yeah, somebody probably caught it up and uh, yep. put it on TikTok or something. Yeah, so we did that. Uh, so I was able to conduct the testing uh, with the piston system and the gas system. And then to try and make it even more equal, I used the same bolt. So the headspace would be exactly the same between the two. So I wouldn't have any variation there. Uh, I used the same firing pin. So there wouldn't be a difference in firing pin length for the ignition. So if one was a light hit, it was not getting a full speed ignition. Or if one was hitting too deep or something like that, where it was piercing the primer. Uh, so it has the same bolt, same firing pin, same cam pin, same firing pin retainer. So the only thing that changed is going to be the gas block on the two of them, either the gas tube and the operating rod, and then the carrier itself. The internals of the bolt carrier group were exactly the same between the two sets, so there's no variables there. It's real science. Wow. This is good stuff. <laughs> I, this is awesome. I appreciate that. And then to try and make it so that the comparison was, again, based just on the gas system change, not how one system you know, like we were talking about having the piston with liking suppressors possibly better. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want to skew the results of having it shoot with one barrel condition that one system liked better than the other. So I shot it in three different conditions. One with a bare muzzle, so there's no influence by a muzzle device or anything else on there. Then one with a muzzle device that was a QD for a suppressor. And then a, a third set of with the suppressor attached to it. So that way you could see if one of the systems liked 
shooting with one type of a condition better than the other, or if there was a differentiation between the two that was parallel with all three. Awesome. Wow. All right. Now, <laughs> drum roll, please. We got to talk about uh, your findings. Yeah. So, kept the pictures, they're, or the targets, I should say, so they're not super technical, all computer cool, because it is literally Sharpie written on paper at the range. <laughs> um, so, we've got the uh, two targets. So, this target here with the uh, pink target pasters on it is going to be the piston gun. I've got the three different conditions that was fired in, bare muzzle with the muzzle device on it, and then suppressed. And then I have the same with the uh, gas system, you know, the bare muzzle, muzzle device attached, and suppressor. Uh, from looking at them just with your eye, you can kind of see a difference. Neither gun is what I would call inaccurate by any stretch of the imagination. No, I'm still doing, both are doing just fine. Yep. Uh, but when you compare them side by side, you can see some similarities to them. Um, but overall, the gas system gun is shooting slightly more accurate than the piston system gun with all things else being equal. One thing that I thought was kind of interesting to it is looking at the group spacing. So with the bare muzzle, both of them are showing a little bit of a vertical string. Mm -hmm. That's where the deviation is coming in there. Yeah. With the muzzle device on, both of them have a little bit of horizontal deviation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we see when you put the suppressor yep. on, we see the, uh, the shift in the point yep. of impact from the suppressor, which is actually pretty consistent. They both exactly. move down yeah. to the left. Yep. This is really fascinating stuff. Um, great shooting. How? What distance were you shooting at? 50 yards or 100? Uh, or this was 100 yards. 100 yards? Yep. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the other thing you can notice, um, I've got written down what the actual group sizes are, um, but both guns had a slight decrease in accuracy when you put the muzzle device on. And then they both had an increase in accuracy when you put the suppressor on after that. Was, Very interesting. Yeah. That is cool. And we're I mean, it's a good representation, too, of the, you know, just... POI, potential POI shift when you do put a suppressor on, too. Yep. Yeah, that is awesome. Now, and the theory here is that a lot of this inaccuracy comes at the bolt and bolt carrier level from that gas system, a lot of it being... What was it again? What was that terminology that you used? Maybe just with Carri the carrier... Carrier tilt? Carrier oh. tilt... Uh, maybe maybe is part could part of that be that um, it's it's probably a combination of many things. Yeah. Um. So having the higher weight, more movable items because these aren't fixed and solid with this operating rod. You know, it's in there with a spring and it's movable on the piston system. Yep. So anything that is not going to be consistent and exactly the same shot to shot can have a negative impact on the potential accuracy of that system because hmm. it could impart a slight difference in the barrel harmonics if this is not exactly in the same condition for each shot. And it's the same with the bolt carrier, the potential bolt carrier tilt. Not to say that anything that has bolt carrier tilt is automatically going to be inaccurate, sure. but it adds another variable. And the more variables you throw into it, the less you have mechanical consistency, which equals accuracy in the real world. Interesting point. Yeah. So I, I can't really say that it's definitely this part or it's definitely that part, but this as a system is showing a slight decrease in inherent accuracy. Yeah. Like I said, again, I'm not ripping out either system or saying one is 100% better than the other because they both shot amazing. You know, if I, if I went to I the mean, range with that piston gun and, and shot those groups, uh, it'd be like, everybody be look what that. I did. Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Boy, it does It just makes you... Th now I'm thinking, thinking about how all that stuff's working and... 
I'm glad we did this. I'm glad we revisited this. Has this has been amazing. Now, Tom, I, I couldn't regurgitate to somebody else everything that you've said, but everything you've said <laughs> and the way that you've said it, I can follow the logic all the way through, That's which good. is good. A, a testament to how well you've explained this because it's been just really awesome to hear you good. go through these processes, but then also be able to, with the, um, with the visual aids here, to kind of watch it happen as you talk through it. Well, it's yeah. nice to have the time too, because mm-hmm. a lot of times when I get somebody to ask me about this, they expect a one-minute answer, and it's like you really can't cover everything in in one minute. It's true. I mean, we haven't covered everything in an a- nearly an hour. No, we, you know? what we did was we made more <laughs> podcasts for ourselves, at least, Mark. So that's job security. I like anything. that. Um, I've never seen a cross section of a bolt carrier like that before. I'll put that over there for the camera again. But that's that was honestly one of the most incredible. That's like one of the best learning tools ever to see all that yep. and seeing it obviously with the with the barrel as well. So thanks a ton for doing that. Um, very very interesting. Hmm. Created more questions than I answered. I think. <laughs> Jim, I can see your your, your wheels are turning a little now bit. Yeah, I am. I'm thinking about that gun with the suppressor on it. I'm thinking about. I've got a piston gun as well um, that I've been shooting. Luckily, my piston gun has been has been really accurate. But also now I'm like, well, how accurate could it be with a regular gun? It's all it's all really cool stuff. Hopefully, this did address those some of the uh, the questions that people had. Uh, on this on this subject, and uh, and yeah, definitely ask more questions. Yeah. Tom, can we bug you if people ask us questions on, on this podcast in oh, the yeah. comment section? Can we definitely bug you about that? That'd be really cool. Yep. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And you're not you're not too far away, no. which is great. About a forty five minute drive. It's <laughs> a lot of gun uh, gun and gun related you know accessories things. Obviously, us in the optics market. There's a lot of companies in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's kind a of a hotbed of for those things. Yeah. It is. It is. I like that. That's something to be proud of. Absolutely, I like it. Well, Tom, thank you again. Oh, no problem. Thanks for, for the stopping invite. by. Thanks for doing the research and you know the data and the experimentation and bringing all the stuff in and and your knowledge. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you for the unsolicited car references. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it didn't have to be me. No, they, they function very similar. It's, they do. It's actually pretty funny. It is pretty funny. And yeah, thanks everybody for listening. If you have additional questions, let us know. Maybe we'll uh, grab Tom, get him back in here. Hopefully. So, awesome. Well, until next time, bye, everybody. Bye. There you have it, folks. Thank you very much for listening. As usual, give this video a like if you liked it. Comment something below and give us a subscribe to the Vortex Nation podcast channel. It would mean a lot to us. Also, why don't you give us a follow over on Instagram while you're at it, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'd love to hear from you over there, and we'll keep you updated with all kinds of cool photos and videos from our adventures that we do here. Otherwise, we will see you on the next one. Thank you again. Happy hunting and shooting, everybody. Have a good one.